Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing well, Mike. All right. And today we're Things going to... Things are easing to- up. That's true. Some of the policies are changing. And we'll talk about that a little well, now today. We're, we can now go exercise. That's a very useful thing for you and me. Uh, we're going to talk today. Our topic is going to be about uh, stresses in the Haredi community in Israel and how Corona's uh, sort of increased those stresses. We have a special guest today to help us with that topic. Alan, could you introduce our guest, please? Yeah, we're very excited to welcome and to have a conversation with Shoshana Keats-Jaskell, who is a writer and activist. She was raised in Lakewood, New Jersey. Before it was Brooklyn, she'd like us to know. Shoshana was now lives in Israel with her family. She raises awareness of issues that plague the Jew, Jewish and world community. She's a founding member of Chokmat Nashim, an organization dedicated to positive change in the Jewish community. Professionally, as co-founder of Reach 3K, she brands and writes for some of Israel's best nonprofits and businesses. So, Welcome. very good. Yeah, there you go. Oh, he's been practicing that for hours. <laughs> By the way, I was raised in Brooklyn when it was Brooklyn, so just so you know. <laughs> you were raised in Brooklyn before it was Brooklyn. <laughs> well, before it was the Brooklyn oh. it is now, it was the Brooklyn that it was then, yes. which was, I think, the cooler no. Brooklyn, but what can you do? I, I I would agree with that. Okay, so we really wanted to talk about how uh, Corona has sort of increase the stresses with the Haredi community and its relationship to the rest of Israel. We th- we we wanted to discuss how Corona is bringing that out. So we invited you because we know you've spoken a lot and you tweet a lot on that issue, not realizing mm. that just in New York, there would be, uh, this would become such a hot topic because of the right. wedding in just Williams. Now. Just now. That there was a it's wedding a in Williamsburg. A funeral. My bad. Yeah, I knew yeah. that. And it came out weirdly... Uh, <laughs> That was a uh, optimistic Freudian slip. Yeah. Uh, but the mayor of New York oddly tweeted about this funeral, a message to the entire Jewish community about how they have to change their behavior. And New York Jews and yeah. lots of people all around the world were very upset about it. Yeah. But but in, in what way do you think, what, what do you think has gone wrong here? Because clearly there's been a lack of, the Haredi community reacted differently, I guess, than a lot of other Israelis in this situation, or at least it looked that way in the press. Do you think? Do you think there really was a difference, or do you think that's a little bit of a media distortion? No, one hundred percent. Listen, I, just just to give listeners a little bit of context and background, I live in Beit Shemesh. Okay, Beit mm-hmm. Shemesh is literally home to the most extreme sects of Hasidic Judaism. Um, the only ones we really don't have so much are Peleg Yerushalmi. They're in Jerusalem, more or less, and they're the ones who you see constantly um, uh, protesting the draft mm-hmm. in very, um, uh, like all across the, the intersections across Jerusalem. And, you know, if you see pictures of rioting Haredim, that's generally what you're going to see. Yeah, by the if way, they don't only, them, it, it's not always those big things. My son works at the, uh, the uh, Lishkakius is the... Uh, the mm. draft office. The recruitment. Yeah, the exactly. recruitment office. And they're there all the time banging on the gates and the windows. Like they're... Oh, okay. So they, they do like smaller events also, not just these big... <laughs> not just the larger events. Well, yeah. For the benefit well, of everyone. Yeah. We should point um, out so that, in, the, that, yeah. that the recruitment office in Jerusalem is sits in, uh, you know, the midst of the growing out Haredi neighborhoods. So... Yeah. It's very accessible. Right. True. Uh, okay, so in Bechemish we have very um, extreme sects of Judaism, people who are very insular, people who insist that their neighborhoods be their neighborhoods only. And, and so I'll give you an example. Um, there's no images of women. There's no, uh, not girls, not women, nothing feminine. Um, and they they create an environment where they are most comfortable, regardless of, anyone else. So A, it's for their benefit, but B, it's to let people know this is our turf. And mm-hmm. you, if you want to come here, this is this is exactly how you have to be. So I'm saying this simply because as a way by way of introduction that I've been dealing with this for now 12 years, um, watching a neighborhood slowly go from a normal neighborhood to have been taken over by those who are so extreme. Mm-hmm. And the reason that matters is because I've been talking about this for a long time, saying if we don't point out this extremist behavior 
now, if we don't push back and say it's not acceptable, if the moderate, and most Haredim are wonderful people, they're moderate, yes, they want to live the way they want to live, but they're not throwing rocks at people, they're not, uh, um, you know, rioting in the streets. But when you don't stop that behavior by the extremists, when you don't push back and say this is not acceptable, whether you're law enforcement or you are neighbors or rabbis, so, so you, you grow a beast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what you but beyond growing the poor behavior, what you have is a community that does not trust authority. There is a great distrust between the Haredi I want to say extremist, but 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 it's more than that. It's the Haredi community uh, on a whole. I don't want to generalize, but it's okay, it's there. Well, um and when you have a spectrum, it's hard to identify proportions yes. right like you'll have this yes you have the fringe and then you have the enablers who aren't as active and then you have people who who maybe they don't approve of it but they don't really disprove disapprove right look you also have people who ride the coattails like if you're fighting right. my battle for me if you're keeping my neighborhood sanitary right like if you're making sure that none of the the pre-suit, the um pre-suit, um immodesty Immodesty, great, comes into my neighborhood. So even though I may think you're extreme, I'm benefiting, right? Right. So if I'm benefiting from that, so why am I going to speak out against it? So what happens is we try very hard to say, please understand, what starts with X is going to be Y, Z, and, and, and I've literally been saying this forever. I hate saying I told you so. It's literally the thing I don't ever want to do. But that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And so what you have is a community that doesn't trust secular authority. So when the secular authority comes in and says, you have to close your yeshivot, you have to close the things that are most essential to your uh, belief system and your life three times a day in a synagogue, uh, 10 hours a day learning. When I tell you, you have to close that down, I don't trust you because I've been mm-hmm. taught for years that you want to destroy my way of life. I've been told for years that you're trying to get me in the army and out of my um, wonderful way of life. And that distrust was a big part of why the community took so long. But more than that, mm-hmm. they listened to rabbis. And those rabbis were completely... I don't blame the lay person Haredi on the street. I blame their leaders because their leaders should have said to them, listen, guys, I know this is very, very hard for us, but it's a matter of life and death. And in Judaism, there is nothing greater than life and death. And the rabbi should have said to them, close it down. And they didn't. And those, I want to say six days, I don't think it was that long, but when you're watching people dying, when you're watching, you know, a a pandemic spread and you're looking at the, remember, we're looking at numbers around the world. Mm-hmm. We know what's happening in Spain. We know what's happening in Italy. They don't. They don't have media. They mm. don't have secular media. They don't have, forget the internet. They don't have uh, um, televisions. They don't have newspapers even that are reporting on international t- statistics. If you told me they could find Spain on a map, I'd be surprised. And I'm not being um, dismissive. I'm explaining what the, the perspective is to care about what's happening in Spain. Ma Kesher, what does that have to do with me? They don't understand that because they're not taught that because it's not important to that lifestyle. And so when something like this happens, it's a breakdown in trust, a breakdown in communication, a, a, a oh my God, I don't even know what to do. And so I, I, I think it's important to say, yes, there was a slow reaction. Most people, when they understood the issue, behaved correctly. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Did Alan. you want to say something? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, something that's like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it, it confuses me, I find it ironic, I'm not exactly sure which, but the the head of the health ministry, the political head of the health ministry, is sort of from that community, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, Jakob yeah, is, a, is a member of the ultra-Orthodox um, party that then his his ministry, well, the deputy, he's a deputy minister, but uh, or minister now, you know, acting minister, is that department. So how, like... What's going on there? I How mean, come I don't he couldn't figure out a way to communicate thoughts. it? Yeah. Oh, he could have. He didn't. Listen, it's something to understand. Litzman is a Ger Hasid. The Ger Hasidic sect is a very, very well-known, wealthy, uh, powerful sect. And he is simply the mouthpiece of the Rebbe of the Ger Rebbe, okay? So the Ger Rebbe says to him, jump, he says, how high? That's, 
I'm not making this up. I'm not being, uh, you know, extremist in this. It's just the fact. So you have Litzman doing things that are absolutely outrageous, absolutely unacceptable. He protects the pedophiles. He's the one who's been keeping Malka Leifers, who is accused of, I think, 70 some odd counts of child uh, a sexual assault. In Australia. Uh, he's the one preventing her from behind the scenes from uh, from being extradited to Australia. Um, he does a lot of things that are highly inappropriate for a health minister. And so if you were to ask me, someone who's been following him and writing about him for a number of years, if I'm surprised, no, I'm not the least bit surprised at mm. all that he failed to uh, accurately assess. And, and, and we know that he also... Days, critical, crucial days, when when the disease spread within the Haredi community, 100% can be laid on his shoulders because he did not close down, because he kept saying, let's keep this open, let's keep that. They just opened the, men mikvahs, the men's mikvahs again a couple weeks ago. Why the hell are you opening up the men's mikvahs? Why? It's not a halachic obligation. It's not a, a Jewish law obligation for men to, to go to the mikvah. It's been proven that cases have been caught from the men's mikvah. What the hell is wrong with these people? Honestly, but you see, when you have a distrust and you have a belief, like I, like you believe in gravity, okay? They believe that going to shul, going to the mikvah, going to 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 study is what keeps the world alive. So you're literally removing from them oxygen. So how do you teach someone who knows they're going to die without oxygen that for right now you have to breathe water? That's that's what you're doing with. Tens of thousands of people. And so when you have people who are a little bit more exposed to the world, they see newspapers, they, um, they've unfortunately themselves had uh, incidents where, you know what, this is what the mainstream says, but, you know, for example. You're saying within example. the community you have people who are more worldly. Yeah, sure. You have people mm-hmm. who are much, look, B'nai Brak is very different than Beit Shemesh. And mm-hmm. Perach Tikva is different from B'nai Brak. And Jerusalem has all different kinds of, 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 of uh, levels of, of I don't know, insular, insularity. Yeah. Look, the bottom line is the Jewish community is, the Jewish community, bread and butter, life source, is community, okay? Men go three times a day to shul. They, they Shabbos is Shabbos. You have guests. We just had Purim. In New York, we know. We know that New York Purim was yeah. ground zero for so many people who caught the disease. Here, we are so lucky it, i'm shocked i have to tell you shocked that we didn't uh, we were not hit more on perm or because of perm i should say i mean there were certain because warnings and there were certain it was very loose mike's in a fraud so yeah i'm sorry it hit a fraud hard mike after perm i live in a fraud so there you go yeah but i'm but a fraud's not Haredi, meaning you right. can't say right. it's from not listening right a fraud's not Haredi. No, they weren't not listening we just didn't know we didn't understand right. at that time no, right. So, so I think there, right. There's a lot of different levels that we have to be talking about. This first of all, again, as you said earlier, we I think we do have to stress it again when we talk about Haredi. It's not a it's not a monochrome society. It's a very there's a large right. spectrum and different saying, and, yeah. and different groups. Yeah, I'm just sort of re readdressing yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. As 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 a long time mikvah goer, um, I I I I, t- I certainly identify with that idea. It's 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 a huge it's a huge um, effect on one's life, yeah. on one's consciousness. Um, yeah, I, I, and, and, and when and, you don't see it, this is an invisible thing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I thought I right. thought uh, so. Uh, so I think so. I so there's a couple things that I think in terms of again, if we're trying to get into the uh, you know a crazy person's perspective much so when they see right from their perspective when they see people you know okay arguing let's have sport why can't you know we should be able to go to sport and two people they should be able to go to sport um you know x amount meters that's what we started from the beginning so for for a cravers well if somebody got to sport which is which is just a you know which isn't essential to life as a person sees it right as fun as it's a luxury so i should certainly be able to go under certain conditions to a mikvah right um again from their perspective that that is right that's how they're looking at it oh if the if the if the as you correctly said before you know the this kind of tension between trying to stop my lifestyle or prioritizing a certain lifestyle over another lifestyle well i think i think it was anshul pfeffer Um, who commented that israelis who don't understand 
the Haredi, how difficult it is for Haredim not to do these rituals. He said, now, Yom HaZikaron, yeah. you get it. Because the fact that we can't oh. all stand around graves in the cemetery, to us, that is such an essential ritual. And that's what it is. It's a symbolic ritual. But to us, it's so mm-hmm. deeply ingrained in us. Now, maybe you understand why going to Marev, mm-hmm. not going to Marev at a shul is so hard. Not going to evening prayers at a synagogue is so difficult for a Haredi Jew. There's a lot of um, elements that I think we can, I hope, will take from this, right? So, like, the positives that I've seen are, you know, you had soldiers in the streets of B'nai Brak handing out food and toys. And when do they interact, soldiers, mm-hmm. secular soldiers, with Haredim from B'nai Brak? They don't. They don't interact with them. And mm-hmm. that's part of Right. The problem in our society of the fear and the unknown of the other and the suspicion and the it's very easy to dehumanize someone when your values are different. You never speak to them as, as a human being and you never face. see them. So, yeah, they're just yeah, they're just an other. So it's those abstract. images for me was one of the most most hope, hope filled or, or hopeful um, results of this as much as because B'nai Brak was locked down. I should mention that it was locked mm-hmm. down because of the uh, high rate of incidences and the fast spreading. So they locked it down and soldiers brought into families, uh, uh, into the community and then into families, um, food and essential things. And they had interactions for the first time ever. And I, I feel that I hope I want us very much to continue to see each other as human beings, as needs, you know, your needs are not my needs, but I understand that you have needs and I'm going to be willing to listen to what you have to say, because at the end of the day, we have to move on from this, whenever that is. And we need this never to happen again, right? We need the Haredi we need to, to come trust out better. the government. Right. Yes. As Alan, as Alan yes. keeps pointing out, the question isn't how do we return to normal the way it was? It's how do we come out of this better? How do we build something 100%. better in the future? So, so what do you think? Like you said, this, these are issues that you talk about and think about and write about and speak about all the time. What, what, what do you think we need to do? So I think there's a few, a few things. And we haven't spoken about something that is, is, to me, not to me. It's devastating and isn't spoken about enough. And this goes back to not having media and not talking about certain things. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of halachic Jewish um, creativity in the time mm-hmm. of Corona, right? So we had, you know, okay, so can you do Kaddish over Zoom? Can you hear Megillah over Zoom? Mm-hmm. Can you um, have a minion virtually? Like, how do you deal with all, even, um, what was it? Uh, um, Toveling dishes, um, putting dishes in a mikvah. You can't use dishes, if it's certain dishes, whatever, uh, until you've put them in a mikvah, but you can't get out and you can't go to a mikvah and it's dangerous. So what do you do? How do you use your plates and knives and forks? So your these new, are things uh, that nobody yeah. ever really had to deal with before. And so there were all these creative solutions and all these thinking. And as someone who's an activist for women, chain, Jewish women changed in marriage, I just sat there feeling less important than a fork. Because... Mm. All of the creativity and the thought. Problem solving. Jewish marriage, right? Jewish marriage is not a fork. Okay. And I understand that. No one's simplifying it to that. But the point is care, sit down, think about it, work it out, make it a priority. Make it a priority to figure out. And that's what I'm angry about. So, So, on the one hand, I feel like there's a lot of lessons we can learn as people. On the other hand, I feel like there's a lot of things that we really need to learn as a community for those of us who are most uh, vulnerable, and Jewish women in marriage are very vulnerable. The other thing I wanted to raise is that we're all in our homes, and if we're lucky, it's hard. Mm -hmm. If we're lucky, we're caught up in a situation where I love these people, but I want to kill them because they're driving (laughs) me crazy. That's lucky, okay? Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are... In a home that's not a safe place, there's domestic mm. violence, there's abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's uh, bullying, um, there's poverty. You know, a lot of these kids get their home, get their meals in school. And so mm-hmm. you're home, you're not working, you have less food, you have more tension, a small place, you can't even get outside, and you have a very large um, 
rise in domestic violence, abuse, uh, unfortunately, sexual abuse. Um, and we as a community really, really need to work on these things of, you know, there's, there's a lot of chesed, there's a lot of kindness that's done in the Jewish community, there's no question. There's also a lot of, that doesn't really happen by us, you know. Mm. Oh, that's, that happens over there. Because this really is a broader us, issue than the Haredi community, obviously, right? Yes, it's not just, absolutely. But you're saying it's more, it, it, higher because the poverty level is higher? Like, why is it? Yes, the poverty, not only is the poverty level poverty level higher, but you also have less information. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a woman who uh, is being in a, is, is in an abusive situation or a child who's unfortunately being sexually abused by, by a, an older sibling, and that happens mm-hmm. a lot, um, doesn't know where to turn. Mm-hmm. A, again, doesn't trust authorities. You have to remember that. And B, they don't know. Where, do I, where am I going to get the hotline information? If I'm a secular or a religious Zionist, so I have a phone, I can look it up in Google. Where are they getting the information? Mm-hmm. And if there's a denial of the issue, so they don't even know what they're dealing with. It's not they a communal effort They don't even know if there's anymore, someone you know. to help them. Sorry? It's not a communal effort if people aren't talking about it. It just becomes you're left on your own to address it. And if you don't know how, because nobody's talked about it. I guess yeah, there's just no information. Yeah, I, I guess. Oh, you want to say something, Alan? Go ahead. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll say even uh, I'm, these are are tremendously difficult problems, and I think what's important is, and I think what Sean is bringing up, which which I kind of been pushing during this time, at least in, in my family, is it helps you. Like this should be helping us prioritize what are our issues in our life, right? Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden your life has become so limited and you just, and a way to think about what is out there. Like, so what's a priority? Where should we be putting our focus? Uh, I think you said it nicely. Should it be on a fork or should it be on actually people's lives that are um, in the balance, let's say? Um, and I think another one of these issues, you, you see- I personally it would have used either, spoon because sometimes the sound gets a little iffy and you get confused. I think spoon is safer than fork, but whatever we want. Okay. It's a family okay. podcast, Noted. so let's not. Yeah. Noted. Yeah. I've been accused before. Um, uh, but um, I, I think there's two issues that kind of intersect or that you could see them in, in, in this um, uh, pandemic and this crisis that we're in is um, we, we, like you said before, we're in a good shape. You know, I, I there's four people in my family. I have two kids. They're, they're big kids. They're not kids. They're almost adult. My one is an adult. We all we have how many devices? We have four computers, four mm-hmm. smartphones. You know, we're set there. Uh, people who are or who are poor may not have any computers in their home. So we talk about these zooms and these classes online and all these kinds of things you could do. They don't have access, to especially that. in the, the Haredi world, where the, that's taboo, and especially in the Haredi world where it's taboo. So so you're right. The access information, but it's also de- like the day to day of of going through and. And that has then ramifications for when do you open up services and when do you not. So if a family has the outlets of computers and things like that, that's going to be a different timeline than people who don't, who can't. Right? I know I have, you know, relatives teaching in their base Yaakov schools on the phone as opposed to right on mm. on Zoom classes, right. um, which is you know. So that that is also a misstep in terms of resources, access, education, information, all those things. I guess. And, I and guess. then you have to, I was going to say, then you have to make it work, right? On both sides. Like the Haredi yeah. have to realize that maybe I need some sort of access to information. Maybe there's things I really need to start dealing with. And the, those people who want them to do this and this and this have to realize, okay, this is the lifestyle we're dealing with. How do we help them uh-huh. to avoid tragedies and and kick them out of poverty without actively destroying the way that they live, because that is not a solution. Right. That's the point I want to get to, that as a person who's not in that community, so sometimes you deal with, you you, you interact with people, and there's there's tremendous anger. And and there has been Mm. traditionally for years because of the economic issue of of not contributing to the workforce, but taking a lot of social welfare, of not contributing to the army. So there was already this underlying anger. And then we started watching these neighborhoods be on lockdown because the hospitals were filling up. And people are saying, well, I may not have a a ventilator because these Haredim didn't take that. There was this tremendous anger that that was already simmering. And, And how do we get the non-Haredi community to move from 
Well, I guess I have two questions. How do we get non-Haredi Israelis to move from the anger position to the productive mode? And then second of all, what do we do in productive mode to integrate the community better while not damaging their way of life, which uh, we, I, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's such a catch 22 in order to make things healthier. We can't destroy a community's way of life. So I think that, you know, I have, I have answers that I, that I would like to try. Um, well, I think number it. one, if, if you know, and it's funny because people are like a lot of times they like to accuse me of hating Haredim because they don't, they don't want to understand nuance. They don't want to understand that I can criticize an issue and not hate the people. Um, but Honestly, that's really this is why we asked you. No, but in all honesty, all, all jokes aside, we were trying to think of who, and I, you know, I, I don't know you, I've never met you, but I've read you and I've read your posts. And, and you're exactly who we want because you criticize honestly, but it's clearly coming from a place of love and respect and wanting things to improve. You're, that's why we asked you on this episode. Well, I'm very glad to hear that that comes across to at least some people. Um, it's it's hard. Listen, it is hard to take criticism, whomever you are, mm -hmm. right? It's hard. And if you don't feel that the person who's criticizing you has your absolute best interest at heart, it's it's almost impossible to take criticism. Mm -hmm. uh, the defense comes up, you know, you fight right back. And, and that's a normal human. Every, every human does that. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, we, we are often pitted against one another politically. Right. So um, the Khredim don't serve. Why are, their li why are their lives more important than mine? But mm -hmm. how many people stop for a second and think, well, why, why don't they serve? Well, Ben-Gurion gave 400 dispensations. If you were going to learn full time, you don't have to go to the army. That was your service. And mm -hmm. when it was 400 people, nobody argued. Yeah. Everybody, everybody felt like, you know what? Judaism is important, even if I don't believe in Torah and mitzvot, I understand that our Jewish culture and heritage is very important. Okay. Nobody thought 30, 50, 70 years ahead, where instead of 400, you have 400,000. Mm -hmm. Okay. So part of that whole, um, if you're not going to serve, I'm sorry, if you're, if you are going to learn Torah, you don't have to serve, they can't work. So we have put them in a situation where they are poor. And you are having 8, 10, 12 kids in a three-bedroom apartment, if you're lucky, on a stipend of a yeshiva. And the irony of all of this is that women then have to go out to work to bring yeah. in money. So you have women outside of the house, <laughs> having ten, still having 10 kids. The women are bringing in the money. The men are in yeshiva. They're living in poverty. And women's health suffers from this. Suffers from this. And... And so you have now a community that is poor, doesn't serve, isn't highly educated, and has millions of kids. So that already breeds, for, for those of us who don't live that lifestyle, like, what the heck? What is this? This is so weird from us. And they, to protect themselves, if the, if the material world is close to me, because I don't have money, right? And the material world is close to me because I can't get that education because they don't um, provide for my way of life in these institutions. So I have to then put down the material and I have to raise the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And then my life is a very different life than yours. And you worship materialism. Mm -hmm. You're all about the Gashmias, right? The materialism of the world. And I'm about the spirituality and we have nothing in common. So this has completely led to a situation where you have people who can't relate to one another at all in any way. So now you've set us up as enemies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, do I think this is one person's fault? No. But what happens is this is how everyone is uh, relating to one another. So you don't serve in the army. But you're, you're, you're more important than I am. You don't, you don't um, value Judaism at all. But you don't care about your forefathers. You don't think what I do is, is important. And you're I trying to destroy to our way of life. Yeah, you're, I mean, look, as much as I do understand, I, my son is in the army. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very aware that some people serve and some people don't. But at the same time, if you said to me, would you want to throw, would you, if you could tomorrow push a button and have all the freedom in the army, I would, oh my God, what a nightmare that would be. Can you imagine? Seriously, imagine that. So I feel like people are arguing for things that are terrible ideas. You can't put the, the Haredim in the army tomorrow. You just can't do it. Can you have them do national service? Can you allow them to work so they're not a drain on the economy? Yeah, you can do those things. Why aren't those things being suggested? 
Why don't we say, how about every Haredi guy from 19 to 20 does a year of national service in their own community? There's a lot to fix in their community. Let's mm -hmm. let's get the women in the, and the men, young women and men, doing some sort of national service so that they can then go and work and then slowly build up. If you want to bring men into the army, make them units like they've done. There are some units that are that are I don't, the numbers aren't massive. I think maybe a thousand Haredi uh, enlist. It's a little more, enlist. I think, per year. Yeah. I don't have the, the, the numbers with me, but it's not mm -hmm. tremendous. But it's there. And mm -hmm. if it can work, and if we are dedicated to making it work, then we do it. And I think it all starts from a willingness to instead get my way to get a way that'll work best. And I think that's with anything. You know, like I'm married 20-whatever years, I don't even know anymore. And I don't get my way all the time, and he doesn't get his way all the time, but we figured a way that we can both be happy and, and you know, okay, so that I'm not, that I'm not going to get, and that you won't get. Say that, like, hello, this isn't rocket science, this is life. Mm -hmm. But nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be the first person to, to take that step. In Israel, you can't be a friar, right? You can't be a, how do you say friar? Um, a sucker. Oh my God. Sucker. Thank you. Yeah. And if I take the first step, I'm the sucker. It's a, it's a battle of wills instead of trying to come up with a mutual solution. What do you think about, I mean, there's been legislation, sometimes enacted, sometimes proposed, about punitive measures that if a certain number of Haredim every year don't join the army, then people will go to jail or there will be fines. Oh, let me tell you how I think about that. There are real, real problems in this country. And those problems are not dealt with. Because all we do every election cycle is fight about how many Haredim are going to come into the army and fight about what um, uh, uh, annexation of this and that. Okay, I get it. I get it. These are your button issues. But there's so much to deal with. What the hell? Where is everybody? It's so if you, like you say to me, punitive damages. Like if you were to ask me the first 20 things I would do if I were in charge, that wouldn't even come near. Could it would not come near what I would do with this country and the needs that it has. I, I can't believe that's what we're fighting about. Like I understand that the future has to change. I understand that, trust me. <laughs> As a Jewish woman, a religious Jewish woman, I'm completely under the sway of the religious establishment. I can't get a divorce if I want to get I don't want to get a divorce, but if I wanted to get a divorce, I can't get a divorce. I my my daughters will ha will be they're gonna have to go to the mikvah before they get married and bring a little note that says that they went and they have to do, I prove that my marriage is valid and prove that they're not you know children of another father. Believe me when I tell you I have a lot of button issues, but they would not be the things that I would um, uh, campaign Prioritize. on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, they'd want to deal with them, and yes, there's a lot to deal with, but like. I, I'm just highly disappointed, I think, in the way most people are going about it. You know, like that your priority is going to be to, to take money from the Haredi community. Good. So now you've got Litzman and Shas, and Shas is the Sephardi uh, political party, and UTJ is the Ashkenazi political party, neither of whom have any women, by the way. Who represents their women? It's actually really funny. Yesterday, uh, Aryeh Derry was whining on Twitter. The head of Shas. That there was no... Head of Shas, yes. There's no Mizrahi or Arab winners of the Israel Prize. Now, it's true. There should absolutely be representation of the Mizrahi um, Jews and of the Arabs in the Israel Prize, 100%. But how ironic is it to hear Aryeh Derry of Shas, whose party of nine, I think, MKs have zero women in it, refuse to put women on the list, and you're going to talk to me about representation in the, in the prize? Where are the women's representation in health? Where's our representation in religious services? Excuse me? It's such a dis it's a complete and total disconnect other than what my needs are and what I feel is important. And that's what we're missing. What's important? How many times does he have to be told, you need to go to the women's committees for violence in the home? You need to go to Knesset committee meetings for women's health. Who is representing your women? And but how do you think that the non-Karedi parties should be should be addressing this. I guess because... because It I'm, should be illegal. It is illegal, but they do it anyway. It should be completely what? illegal not to, to, to ban women from political parties. It is illegal. 
It is illegal. They just let, let it happen. Why? There's no... In some political parties, they have um, primaries, right? So you mm-hmm. get to vote for who you want. Because I'm mm-hmm. a member of the whatever party, and I vote in the right. primary. But not Shas and UTJ. Uh, not in Lapid either, but... Or Lapid. There's going to be a point who's going to be on the, on the list. Right. Right, but then, but then again, you leave me as an outsider. Well, how do I help then? That, that's where I always get caught up. In other words, you're, you're describing a community that's not doing a great job of self-advancement or, or problem solving. Okay, well, we are all brothers and sisters. We're all in one boat. I am at a different seat in the boat. How can I help my brothers oh, and you sisters? Yourself, how can you help from home? <laughs> well, not only from home, but just... the. Non-Haredi Israelis, how do we help the Haredi community integrate in a way that's positive without damaging their... Go ahead, Alan. What did you... I, I just want to drive it home. I think you're saying more is that... And we see this pandemic has has brought out for us the fact of how much how much we are dependent on each other so much yeah. integrated. Meaning we we can pretend that like Haredi can put up their signs in their neighborhood and said, this is my space. It's not your space. I get to Durban here. But the truth is what the what the coronavirus has taught us all around the world, not just between Haredi and non Haredi, that there are no borders and real borders completely. And we are integrated. And so if we want the, the next time this comes around or issues of women, issues of health and all that kind of stuff, how how can we as non-members of the Haredi community who who see them very positively on the most part, um, like like you said, and them before, isn't even. I mean, I don't want to sound too them. too woke, but yeah, them sure. isn't even exactly the right word. Like there's there is no them. Yeah, there's only yeah, us. How do we work this out together? I would say that you know, I'm going to say what I'm going to say because I'm a writer and I'm an activist. I believe that activism. I know that activism works. I don't believe it. I know it works. I've seen it work. And I've seen, uh, I've been able to raise awareness of issues that people were not exposed to and didn't think about it. But the minute that they saw it, they heard it, they were like, oh my gosh. Or maybe it took four articles for some people to understand the problem, right? But mm-hmm. once people are aware and they change their opinion, so if we're the ones, we, if we're outside of their community, but if we might have thought in the past, um, you know, they should be in the army. They absolutely should be in the army. They should be in the army or they shouldn't get anything, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe we have to start, the change has to start here. Where to say, for example, I'll give you an example. Women, Haredim, uh, I should say, there are not now higher institutions of learning for Haredim, okay? And many of them are, most of them are segregated, meaning men learn here and mm-hmm. women learn there and they don't cross. Now, now these these are established men, so that to enable people to get higher paying jobs. Yes, so that so that they can get jobs, so that they can be educated, so that they can work outside of the Haredi community, not just mm-hmm. as a, a rebbe and not just as a, someone who's learning. Because at twenty seven, men can start to work mm-hmm. if, if you've not served in the army, and women from from whenever can start to work. But obviously, the more educated you are, the more your job options are, mm-hmm. and you, how many base base. Uh, Yaakov teachers can you have? You can't. It's, it's saturated. It's completely saturated. And these women have to have to be trained elsewhere. Not only that, but their communities need Haredi social workers and they mm-hmm. need Haredi doctors and they need Haredi lawyers to so understand their community. It's mm-hmm. it's not, you know, a, a, a bubble where it's over there. They really do need these kinds of people to help within the community, grow the community. So you have these institutions of higher learning. Now, the men uh, can only be taught by men. So you're closing off jobs to professors who are women. Not only that, but you can't let women on the campus. So now you've closed the campus to women to let the men get educated. Mm-hmm. Now the women can be taught by a man or a woman because, well, that's the way it works in Judaism, whatever. Not that you, let me, let me rephrase. That is how it works in their version of Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you have these segregated institutions that, by definition, discriminate in certain ways, okay? When women can't come on campus, when men are there. So it's closed off to me. So I know people who say these segregated institutions are completely undemocratic, can't exist. And I understand what they're saying 100%. Because what happens is they graduate these institutions, they go to work in uh, high tech or wherever, and they demand segregated workspace. And they demand a woman-only floor and a man-only floor and a kitchen with women's hours and a kitchen. And it's absolutely, it's not, um, 
It's not theoretical. It actually occurs. This really okay? is an issue. So, yes, it's a real issue. On the second, on the flip side, I've interviewed people who 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 created these programs for women to get educated and for men to get educated, and they say, if you don't have these programs, these people will not get educated. They will not learn. They will not get a job. They will not support their families, and you're going to have another generation of poverty. And Trust me when I tell you that these people who are educated, they send their children to math and English. Mm. They get private tutors and they make sure that their children have math skills and English skills because those that's what you need to graduate high school in this country. Okay? So on the one you have conf- I have conflicting values in this one issue, right? right. I absolutely am against uh, academic um, academic uh, forums that are segregated. Yeah, I am. And on the second side, I really want these Haredim families, women, men, to have the education, to be able to support uh, their families, to be able to work. I want that. So what do I do? I don't have an easy answer for you. I don't. Because I know what happens when you segregate public space. I see it in Beit Shemesh. I've been spit on by a Jewish man with pay. It's like, I get it. And I still don't know what to do. And so we have to start from a, from a point of view of recognizing the fact that we are going to have conflicting values. And that's okay. Because that's where you start to make progress. Why? Because if I insist on only one thing, no segregated institutions at all. None. So you're pushing off at least for a generation, at least, the economic... Uh, uh, recovery and education of, of people. Now, you may say to me, that's fine. I'll wait. They need to realize that they can't segregate the world. I get that. At the same time, go tell a woman who desperately wants to support her family, no. Mm. She's stuck behind, the Rebbe's behind her telling her you can't go, and now she's got her kids that she wants to feed. It's not easy, but if right. we want to solve things, we have to do the hard work. It's the Atlas Shrug dilemma. Do I help enable but gradually try to improve things? Or do I just let everything crash and then we'll rebuild from the disaster? But it's real human lives. You can't, it's not something that you can, uh, like no, you're saying, when you bring easy. it down to the individual level, this woman who wants to support her family. Yeah. Listen, I, the Rabbanut should burn, okay? I, I, <laughs> trust me when I tell you, trust me when I tell you, that's how I feel on most days. At the same time, there are people who have worked with that system, mm-hmm. like Rev Riskin, who trained women for the first time ever in halachic uh, laws about divorce and put them in the courtroom, changed the dynamic for thousands of women who were, until that moment, the only woman in the room with a male lawyer that she never met before, but now is representing her most important moments, Mm-hmm. The the husband that she's trying to divorce, the guy who's defending him, and three male judges and the male secretary. Mm-hmm. In what so, setup does she even have a, a chance in hell of being able to be heard and and feeling comfortable telling her story to these men and these strangers? So Rev Riskin says, "This is the situation. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I can within that system." And he had to fight like hell, and he went to the Supreme Court twice, and they wouldn't uh, certify the women, but they got the women certified. And, and the, when, the, when they started 20 years ago, no, more than 20 years ago. More and more. Yeah, like 40 years ago. Um, 30 years ago. We'll look it up. Uh, <laughs> when they started, the Diane wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't talk to the women. They thought it was dis- un- unbelievable there was a woman in the courtroom. And now they refer cases to them. Mm-hmm. And they say, I think this woman could use your help. So if we say the Rabbanut should die and I don't want to deal with it ever, so what would have happened to all those women that they did help? What would happen to the um, the tfisa, the um, mindset, outlook, mindset, mindset, thank you, of the judges who now see women as legitimate uh, parts of the process? You know, believe me, I, I, my preferred weapon is a baseball bat. I, I, I'm really happy with, you know, just knocking stuff down in and theory. starting again. But, but you're saying that's your inclination, in not never, your actual, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, not, God forbid. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I have to be realistic. I, I've st- stood in the court with my aunt, who was an aguna for years. I've been there. 
it, it, it's not such an easy thing to take down. So what do you do about the people who are who are in the midst of it and need something? Like it, you can't just stand on principles alone if you want to make change. And so, so think, if you ask, what can we do? Yeah, we talk about these things. We say, you know what? It's okay if not all the creative go in the army right now. Listen, maybe we need to be a little bit more understanding. Like just give a little bit and talk. Make those connections. Talk it through. Right. It's exhausting. Trust me, I know. But it does work. Emotionally, you're an idealist, but pragmatically, you're a gradualist. Let's solve the next thing that, that's accessible, and we'll move along along on that trail till we get to the ideal. Perfect I'm can't be the enemy of the doing good. doing what you can. Look, it's, the act, it's an activist dilemma all the time, yeah. of, right, of, of how much you compromise on your ideals to get the change that you want and how long you're willing to wait for that change. Yeah. yeah. Well, my example in American history is always we, we remember that the South hated Abraham Lincoln, but we forget that the abolitionists also were very frustrated with him because he didn't end slavery like that. It was He saw it as it had for it to work. It has to be right. issues have to be addressed gradually. Now, that being said, if I was, a, you know, an African-American sharecropper in the 1880s with the Ku Klux Klan riding through my like it, gradualism also has its problems. It's it's of course it does. Yeah, of course it's, it does. It's, it's, yeah. There's no question. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I, I, I live this. Like this is what I live all the time. You know, in in Beit Shemesh, what started off as just telling women that they can't be there, right, is you know, t- turned into violence, turned into riots, turned into a population that believes it can do anything it wants. So those who are rioting about the Sneha signs, the modesty signs coming down, are the ones rioting now and calling police Nazis when they're trying to keep them safe from from a pandemic, right? So you enable this behavior. So, so just If to, the means just are corrupt, clear. but you're fighting for ends I believe in, I'll allow the means. But then when I don't agree with the ends, yes, suddenly those means that. become, no. yeah, you can't do that. You cannot do that. And when, and when, it, when it comes to... You know, I, it's funny because I, I could name names, but plenty of people who told me that I was just, you know, talking about, you know, just a few people. And it's not true. I mean, like, <laughs> it's a real problem. You're talking right. about extremism and you're talking about a community in general that needs, I think, a little bit of love and attention to be able to bring it to where I think they want to be also. I, who wants to live in poverty? Right. No, we know that the voices leak out into the media. We read letters and interviews with people who often are anonymous, but they're saying, we don't want to live like this. You have to help us. Don't enable us with policies that make, that that perpetuate the, this, you know. The system was not built for these numbers. We're on a, it's, it's like a, we're, we're on something that cannot support the growth. And so we need to deal with it. I think that part of the I think that part of it is I know we're getting way yeah, on our, to, over our usual time, but but I do think it's important to point out that uh, as we're as we're dealing with the, uh, uh, on the spectrum, as Mike pointed out in the very beginning, from it that there there has to be I think in many ways, like you're saying, a very tough hand towards the extremists, um, yeah. with a very very um, open and let's say you know carrot towards yeah. the the mainstream community that that is more susceptible and not susceptible but more open to change i think um yeah. uh, which is and, hard uh, those people exactly that don't want to live in poverty to continue and um and they can't feel threatened the minute right. they feel yeah. threatened you're going to circle wagons i mean that's what they do yeah. right. that's what anyone would do and yeah. so we have to we have to deal with the reality of what we have right now we we do we have to, we have sixteen percent of the population that is growing massively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's any community is resistant to change. You're saying by nature, but this is a community devoted to the idea of not changing. Correct. And and it, it makes everything difficult. And then you have that separation. So Shoshana, we really have to thank you so much. We 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 talk about these things, but we I don't know like. We have some understanding of that world, but we always feel a little bit on the outside. So so your voice is very helpful for us in thinking it through. And, and even just just for, I, I, I think I can speak for you too, Alan. Like for me processing it, this has been very helpful. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that our okay. listeners will find that as well. Um, please send yeah, us, I, I have, you know, obviously your website and your Twitter, but send me any links that you would want me to post uh, sure. uh, when, we, when we post Relevant the podcast. Articles. 
Well, any anything, anything you want to share, or anything you want to plug, or or whatever it is. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, thank you so much, Alan. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, and I guess unless you, anyone has any last. The only thing I'll say is that yeah. I I, too, I do understand the you know well it's not my community so I shouldn't say, but I think that's wrong. Why? Because. We're all one community, as you mentioned, not only Jewish, Jewish wise, but now pandemic wise. There's nothing that doesn't, uh, co- you know, connect and and right. and, and us. Um, and and I do think that a lot of people care. They just don't know how to care or what to care about or what to do. And so I don't think that any of us should say, well, it's not my community, so I can't this. But rather, let me learn a little bit. Let me see what I could do. And. And that's what I find with our work in Chochman Ashim is that when people care, they take it to their community. So what you're dealing with in your community isn't exactly what they're dealing with, is exactly what I'm dealing with, but you recognize it. And right. that's what I think is awesome. Is I get all of these messages from people around the world, men and women, you will not believe what happened in my shul. They took the women off of this. Or you would not believe that they had this person come and speak and they don't realize what he said or what she said or what they did. And that awareness of saying, you know what, you have to know what this person said. Yosef Mizrahi, like, hello, psychotic, like, don't let him in your your community, right? Like, right. if the more you're aware of how things affect other people and what you can do about it, that's massive. That that That's already a massive change. And you'll start to see it. You'll recognize it. As soon as you're made aware of it, you'll start to recognize, I could do something here. I can make a difference here. And and that's what it's all about. Great. And Local, that is exactly... And that, you know. But that's the exact spirit that I want the people to approach this issue in. And exactly that, that attitude, I think, is that kind of constructive, not... not, not uh, not dismissing the real problems, but but approaching them in a constructive way out of a desire to help everyone. That's exactly. Thank awesome. you. You said it perfectly. Thank you Pleasure. so much. That's <laughs> thanks the for end. having me. I'm so glad my kids gave us an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it worked. Uh, hang on. After I stop uh, recording, we'll just figure out a few technical things. Listeners, bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time.